Welcome to the podcast. We do recover with Jared Miller, your host. And I'm Dr. Terry Sellers, your co-host. This is a podcast about recovery from addiction. We want to talk about what successful recovery can look like. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. It is officially Friday, a little bit past four o'clock, which means we are doing another episode of We Do Recover. Welcome, you guys. This is episode 94 of We Do Recover. We got a pretty good one planned for today. This is going to be a big one. It's going to be a great one. Looking forward to it. We have two authors, coaches, mentors that have written a book that are coming on to talk about that book and to talk about adolescence and addiction today. Before we get to them and introduce them, episode 94 is brought to us by Steps Recovery Centers. Steps Recovery Centers is ready to help you or a loved one get help as soon as you're ready to reach out. Reach out by giving them a call at 801-800-8142 or just go to their website. That's stepsrc.com. They have detox, inpatient, outpatient, aftercare. They have you covered from start to finish. Reach out to Steps. We thank you for sponsoring this podcast. Yeah, they're good to us for sure. We also got uh, episode 94, part one is also sponsored by Rise Up Supps. Rise Up Supplements. Uh, at Rise Up Supplements, you go to riseupsupps.com. That's R I S E U P S U P S dot C O M. How many P's? Just one P. Okay. That has been the question of the week ever since we launched the, the platform. Um, we got two products right now. We have Mindful Mood. Mindful Mood helps. Decrease anxiety and enhance mood. And then we have MindShift. MindShift is going to increase focus and optimize brain function. So be sure to check out those products. We actually have an exclusive offer just for our podcast listeners. If you go to the website and you want to try one of those products, I get it, right? They're brand new products. A lot of people haven't tried them. At checkout, you type in TRY40. That's T-R-Y-4-0 to save 40% off. That deal ends at midnight the 31st. We're not putting it on social media. It's a podcast-exclusive promo. Get 40% off your one-time purchase to give it a shot. Then come back and subscribe and save 20% off on a monthly subscription moving forward. Pretty wow. sweet deal. Yeah, 40% off's not bad, huh? I mean, me and Mandy are going to lose our pants off of it, but no, you're not. it's fine. It's going to do well. <laughs> cool. This is, this is Jared's thing, so he's going he's gonna to knock it out of the park. Adolescence and addiction. Yeah. To talk about that, we have invited on Holly Henderson and Josh. Is it Brazier? Brazier? Yeah, Brazier's fine. Brazier. Brazier like <laughs> Frazier. Well, Terry. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much. Why don't you go ahead and th- these guys sent us bios. They, I mean, oh, man, they got a book out. Bang your way head here. too professional for us. Why don't you go ahead and, and read I'm, Holly's? I'm uh, going to read you some stuff about Holly, and then I'm going to let Holly tell her own stuff, obviously, but. So uh, Holly has been training teens and adults for over 20 years. Her training work began in the field of violence prevention and dating violence prevention. Holly has trained thousands of teens and young adults on recognizing the warning signs that lead to violent and deadly relationships. She was a presenter at the International Conference for Family Violence, where she assisted other communities looking to develop their own dating violence prevention programs. Holly is an active parent-teen coach who specializes in working with at-risk teens and young adults and their parents. She understands the struggle and nuances of these relationships primarily because she was, she once was an at-risk teen who has found a way to, re- to reconnect within a family structure that once was failing. Her focus 
during coaching is to find a place where ownership and forward movement can happen while working on healing destructive patterns of disconnect and trauma that often lead to addiction and violence in the home. Holly has tools and advice to help parents see outside of their lives into their minds of teens. They will learn how how their past conditioning is limiting their ability to see things correctly, how their default settings lock them in a pattern for disconnect, how their communication styles are pushing their loved ones away, and what teens really want in order to thrive. That is Holly, and we're going to ask her a lot more about herself, but that is an introduction to Holly. right? Beautiful bio. Yeah, that's lovely. Holly, Holly, welcome to the podcast. (laughs) What did you say? I said, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I, I, I was expecting one sentence, but well, that, that was, was lovely. Thank you. That was <laughs> it, it. Well, I shouldn't have stopped during the periods in the sentences. I should have just made it into one sentence. Would have been the world's <laughs> longest sentence. But uh, there, that's Holly. We got to know Holly. So, um, cool. get to know Josh. Yeah, let's do. Introduce Josh real quick. We're going to read a little bit about Josh, and then we'll let Holly and Josh talk. Josh Brazer, with over 15 years of experience working with youth. And family in over dozens in over a dozen countries, Josh brings a unique perspective to healing and family culture. Having worked alongside thousands of young people and having been inside hundreds of struggling households, Josh's, Josh's ex- experience has led to deep and powerful insight that helps create a new path of healing. Josh's very direct and powerful real-world stories engage audiences and provide validity to the concepts and principles he teaches. Having worked for the past decade creating social programs for youth in the U.S. and abroad, Josh brings a 15, Josh brings his 15 years of experience working with youth to help solve real pain point problems in you, that youth are facing. His ability to connect and to get to the heart of the matter with young people keeps his roster and waiting list full. Josh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Got to figure out who wrote that one. Um, <laughs> Did you pay him enough? That's my question. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Well, let's get let's kick this off, shall we? Well, we've we've read their bio. Right. I kind of want to get to know them a yeah, little bit sure. more and like why why youth? Why addiction? Why yeah. working with families that are having these problems? Yeah, I think we want to get into that in the first segment for sure. So, you want to lead it off? You want me to? Go ahead. Well, we read Holly's bio first. So, Holly, um, we're going to ask you the first question. Tell us just a little bit about yourself. Like, I don't want to know about your professional stuff yet, and you don't have to reveal any great details, but just tell us a little bit about Holly. Um, I was born and raised in Southern California. Like it said before, though, I was an at-risk teen, so <clears throat> I did some uh, did spend some time away from home um, trying to deal with the problems that were going on at home. Um, came back from that into recovery, uh, became, I started writing songwriting to kind of just deal with emotions and then started pursuing that as a professional career as well. (laughs) And then while I was doing that, I was, I started doing some training at a nonprofit where I really started to do a lot more work with teens. So I'm into music, I'm into good food, I'm into traveling, and um, what else do you want to know? I think that's enough. Uh, that was beautiful. Um, <laughs> I got a weird look from Jared when you said you're into good food, and I don't know what that was about. But what's uh, your definition of of good music and good food? Is it was kind of my question. Oh, okay, good. Like, what's your forte? Well, you know, I know. 
Uh, let me, uh, good food sometimes revolves around the culture that you're in. So mm. um, I like to travel and find little like special towns that do something really, really well, right? Or mm. um, pastries, I love pastries. So I'm always on the hunt to find the best Kringle, <laughs> the Danish pastry Kringle. The best one I found so far is in Santa Barbara at Anderson's Bakery, I will say. Um, as far as music, the best good music, um, man, that varies, right? That's a loaded question. <laughs> what? As a, as a songwriter, I'm studying a lot of different music. So Fair enough. What would you call your personal style in music? Ooh. So I, if you were going to come to one of my shows, you would enjoy jazz. She has shows. You would enjoy alternative rock, um, folk, a little bit of pop, and some adult contemporary stuff. So oh. I definitely don't do rap. I'm sorry. I just can't pull that one off, guys, well, if you're into that. It's totally fine. My, don't, look at, don't look at me. <laughs> look at me. I'm, when, when they define rap and then they wanted to define the opposite of rap, they show a picture of me. <laughs> they, so, they show yeah. a picture They show of Doc me. Sellers. Yeah. Well, let's get to know Josh. Okay. Josh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, maybe why you decided to, to go into the field that you go into, why you're passionate about it. But you as a father, husband, let's get that. All that, all that good stuff. Cool. Well, I, I am a single dad adopted two sons from Mexico. Um, I got started with all this because when I was in college, I started a nonprofit that took like college students that were just in and around to orphanages. We started off in Mexico, then we branched off to Brazil and then went to Africa, India, Peru, all over the world. Um, and so from, from that just became like a, a huge love of travel. Holly and I grew up basically in the same town, love Southern California, love the beach of the ocean, surfing, all those different things. And we just tried to had a really good childhood and, and was able to travel and, and have a, have a really kind of wide view of the world. And on my, on my trips, I'd have tons of young people coming on them. And a lot of times afterwards, I get a call from a mom or a dad saying, Hey, my kid's struggling. They really connected with you on the trip. Would you mind taking them out to lunch, dinner, having a chat with them? And then just this informal mentoring happened. And then I just got involved in the treatment world in Utah as well for a long time, taking groups of, um, you know, at-risk youth to these countries that I was working with, uh, working at, and then also the projects that I had there and just getting them involved. So kind of a natural thing. I, I studied advertising in, in college, had no intention of really kind of doing this. Um, I say I do this part time, but it really can be full time work. Um, and uh, yeah, like I said, just kind of like a, a weird zigzaggy way of getting there, but just just definitely love it and all the connection that happens because of it. Sounds like you almost fell into this thing, like it was put in your lap. I think so. I think that like we thought that this nonprofit that we started back in 2005 was going to be a semester long project and it just grew and grew and grew. We've taken over 5,000 people across the world to tons of countries. I've done a lot of good working with tens of thousands of people. So we've, I've had a lot of good fun doing that. But my favorite part is when I take some kid who's struggling and have the chance in, in one of these countries to work alongside them and open them up a little bit with the service that work that we're doing and then just kind of figuring out what's going on and, and, and trying to help them get on a better path. So, I love it, man. I love it. Yeah. Well, I, I got some questions. All right, shoot. All right, let's go. Uh, you said you basically grew up in the same hometown. Did you know each other growing up? Yes. So yeah, we were, I actually we thought were... that answer was going to be no. <laughs> I really did. 
Holly, Holly and I were like a little different grades and we lived maybe, what is it? Eight miles from Agora to Newberry park. But, um, it's nice of that you to say, miles, that, it's nice of you to say that Holly's 20 years younger than you. That's really <laughs> nice of you to say. Exactly. I like um, it. But yeah, we, we, we didn't like hang out or anything like that, but it just, we're catching up a, you know, a few years later, you know, maybe in 2009, 2010, I think it was. And then, then we just kind of figured out that in the last 10 years, we've been kind of doing the same things mm. and uh, kind of brainstormed this book from that, from that first lunch that we had of like, just from our frustrations and what we were seeing and what was going on, we just thought there had to be some better tools and resources available to, to families and to young people. Right. That actually leads me right into a question for yeah. Holly. Yeah. So at what point did your guys' paths recross and you figured out that you were both working in the same field to, to help, you know, adolescents, at-risk adolescents? And at what point was the book mentioned? And maybe talk to us a little bit about the book. Yeah, I think um, I knew he was in a certain state I was traveling to, so we met up for lunch and I was telling him that I had just finished doing a pretty hefty round of training with youth and I was in also in the lockdown facilities and the jails and, and, and he was, when he was telling his stories about what he was working with at treatment center, we just both felt frustrated that there was all this work happening with the teens, but there just wasn't a lot of great resources for the parents. Mm. And in my, in my past and being an at risk teen, the things that changed the most in the home is when my parents were able to understand that there was a lot of treatment and work they needed to do while I was going through that process that, and Josh was feeling very overwhelmed too, with this thing where he just felt a lot of parents wanted to sign a check and say, return my team to me. I'll, I'll patch it up and good and yeah. let's move on. And we're like, no, it, it's, it's, this is a systems thing we have to start addressing, but what kind of resources are out there for parents that allow them to take a look at it this way? And we're like, well, not a lot, you know? So why don't we take our experiences and our stories and write this book? We came up with the title Bang Head Here because that's literally what it feels like when you're working with a team that's really struggling. And also when you're working with a parent that doesn't want to get on board with the systems idea and, and take ownership of their part of the connection and the culture of their family. It's just like banging your head against the wall. But we would laugh that they would just want to do the same thing, same problems. We'd give them the same coaching, and then they wouldn't change it. And so that was that was how the book got started. And it's a three-part series. The first one is called You and the Equation, which it really talks specifically about understanding how powerful your role is as a parent and how much influence you have with your young ones in the home. Yeah. Can I ask a follow-up question? Yeah. So this, this is a podcast about recovery from addiction, right? And, and you guys have worked with youth. It, would you say the majority of the youth that at risk or troubled youth that you've worked with have a substance abuse problem or some kind of addiction? Josh, go ahead and shoot. I would say, so currently my roster right now is at 35 and I would say that more than around two thirds of them are dealing with some type of an addiction, whether it's um, substance abuse, or whether we want to call it a online addiction, a gaming addiction, um, things like that. So there, there's definitely addictions, a huge part of, of, uh, of daily talks with, with my clients. Yeah. Yeah. Good. All right. So I had a, excuse me, man, I got something in my throat there. I had a couple of questions. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about the book first of all. So you guys, so 
you meet for lunch in a state where jo- where your vis Holly's visiting, and is that the when the idea for the book came about? Is that when it started? I guess. Yeah, I think we were at. I want to say was it a Mimi's cafe? It was a cafe of some type. I can't remember what it was, but we were just kind of brainstorming and getting caught up and. And then, yeah, really quickly after that, we started brainstorming an outline for a book, and we put together our first draft and sent it out to some of the parents we we're working for, we we're working with, and they just kind of gave us the feedback that you got to go deeper. Um, this book is very personal; it has tons of personalized stories, Holly stories in there. We, but we really we talk a lot about pain and discomfort and how that kind of makes us act and show up certain ways in our relationships and it creates certain cultures in our home. And so Holly and I had to do a really deep dive on our own pains and discomforts and things that were happening in our own lives to really make sure that we were just going to be able to not only talk the talk, but walk the walk in a lot of this. Um, And so a lot of the brainstorming was happening over lunches and just sharing stories and, Hey, I've got this going on. What would you do? And then the outline just started coming together. I mean, you guys know as, as you're working with addiction <clears throat> that if we're going to look at the family as a systems type of environment and you see a young person that's, that has an addiction, they could look to their parent and, and probably find something that the parent is trying to, tr- to treat themselves in an unhealthy way, right? Uh, and, and so we talk about that in, in this book is like, hey, before you start pointing fingers at your young one that's in rehab. I want you to take a look at when something is uncomfortable or painful in your parenting or in your life, what are you doing to cope with that, to, to self-soothe? Are you buying packages that are making you go into debt that are showing up on the front porch? Are you just completely avoiding the, your relationships and numbing out in other ways or um, getting involved in your work? Is it substance abuse? Um, there's a variety of ways that parents can take a look at themselves and go, wow, like how have I taught my young ones to deal with discomfort and pain that comes with everyday life. I find that super interesting. So I, 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 um, recently stopped, but for a little over a year, I did all of the family programming for steps recovery centers. I'm a substance abuse counselor, um, for them. And oftentimes when we would have family groups where it was just the family, right? The client wasn't there. It was just the families together. They would almost get offended when I would bring up what you just said, Holly. Right. Like, Mm -hmm. so we have Johnny or Susie in care. Great. You know, they're getting help. If they're like this soaked sponge with all of these raw emotions and habits and behaviors, and we're taking them and we're giving a good ring, what's going to happen if you guys, if they return to you and you're still full of all that resentment and all those memories you're harboring and, and all of that, uh, in other words, how do you contribute? Right. And I love that this is you in the equation because the, the person who, maybe is seeking help, definitely needs to take a look at their accountability, but also the family members, they do contribute in some way, even, even if they don't realize it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've seen, we've seen plenty of times that addiction can also be rooted in lack of connection. So we all can take a look at that in the family. What point did my young person not feel connected, feel like they were going through something very difficult that they sought out the the strongest voice, whether it was the community they were hanging out with that introduced them to what they were addicted to, whether it was being online and pornography, a variety of things. But when we feel connected to each other, we feel filled in a much different way, right? And we can talk about these things in a much different way. And so I was even talking to a parent about this today. She's struggling with 
her teen boy who who has a drug addiction has relapsed and her first instinct is to take everything away i'm going to take the phone away i'm going to take all these things i'm like wait a minute let's get to the root of the trigger first what triggered this to happen right <laughs> and let's let's start having a conversation and feel connected and understanding so that you can actually help him facilitate this and help him give him the tools he'd never had before and you know he was just desperate to do whatever he could to get out of his pain um, whatever whether that was anxiety with school or at home you know in this particular case there's a lot of violence in the home verbal violence so there's some escapism uh, with the teen when that shows up and so that is hard to get parents to address like oh man shoot I, I do need to be vulnerable to look at this because it's painful, right? And, and the frustration that you're having going into that group is what we were having. So we figured if we could write about it and give somebody a safe space to go and read that on their own and digest it, it would help us have more productive conversations when we get them into a situation with coaching or with treatment. Okay, so I got to admit that I, I have not read the book yet, which is... Um, we got to get some copies. Which I will do. I probably we'll send you some copies. Would please, please yeah. that would be lovely. But um, yeah, if you'll send us a few copies, we'll give a few away on the podcast, and then uh, and then plug you guys every time we do a podcast for a while. Yeah, anyway, we'd love it. Anyway, the the point is, I haven't read the book yet, but uh, I th and I think I know the answer to this question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Y you decide to write a book. The target audience of your book is it the teen? Is it the parents? Is it the family system? Obviously, I know the answer to that, I think, but tell me what the concept, what were you trying to do with this book? It's, it's interesting that we were, our main thing was we wanted a, a parent who was flying from New York to Utah to be able to finish our book on one flight. Mm. They could come and be prepared for a family days or for whatever it was. And so we wanted to keep each part really short, mm. but fill the stuff. And so, yeah, we're really, we're, we're talking with the parents and we're helping the parents to understand their family system, their family dynamic, their family culture, and what needs to change. And like we, what we were talking about earlier, like sometimes in a group, when you call a family out or when they feel like it, they just, you know, pride, pride just rears its head and they shut down. But we wanted to create a book that with stories, with them being able to connect with like, oh, I can relate to that. And oh yeah, I've been there. And, and, and then we just start to kind of chip away at that, that wall that they have up that says, um, I got to look at all of that. And that includes me. Um, and so that was our intention. Uh, we were writing the book too. And why? So we also, go ahead. Holly. We also, we also changed the verbiage because at first when we did our, our first draft, it was for parent and teen, but we realized that there are so many people that fill that role as parents. So it became loved one mm. and caretaker. So that means we do a lot of work with young adults right now that are kind of the failure to launch. So that would help with that demographic with sure. teens, but also grandparents, aunts or uncles that are standing in to be the parent role. So is that the target audience then? The, the, it's the loved what, one, the, the loved one, the, yeah. the, the parent, the caretaker, the, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I would love to get some of those stories from the book, maybe in the second part of this. I realize we're coming up on the two minute mark here for yeah. part one, but um, so here's, I guess the the thing that I was thinking about, Holly. You said a word that stuck in my brain. You said connection, and I know young people, especially, uh, they they mistake connection with social media with true connection. Do you, are you guys finding that young people have are having harder and harder times generating? 
real connection. Yeah. Yeah. And then when they're in that environment, they feel anxious because it's, it's something that has to be practiced. I mean, even think about it as adults in COVID, you know, being in the lockdown and how many adults had anxiety going into a social situation, <laughs> being out of practice. And you got all these young kids that aren't doing the dialoguing like they normally would. Everything's like through text or, you know, maybe I, to have a few outings. I think that's still happening. Me and Mandy, yep. like a week ago, went to the movies and there's like a group of people talking, like talking normal voice behind us and people's phones are ringing. And it's like, has everybody lost their mind? Have we all forgot what happens when you go to a movie? You turn your phone on silent. You know what I mean? You, if you have yeah. to whisper something, that's probably okay, but you don't talk full. You know, I think we've all kind of forgotten social norms yeah, to some be. degree. <laughs> For real. Josh, did you want to add anything to that? No, I just, I just, I mean, every single young person has their code and their language. And a lot of what Holly and I do when we're talking with these young people is to understand when, when, when they say yes, when they say no, when they say maybe, when they say, I don't know, what does that actually really mean? And, and so a lot of this social media stuff has really made that job a little bit more difficult. Yeah. Hey, um, but it does leave Josh, so much we're, up there. We're just about out of time, so I'm going to cut you off right there. But we're going to take a quick break, listen to our sponsor, a word from our sponsors, and we'll be back right after the break. You're listening to We Do Recover with Jared Miller. You are listening to We Do Recover with Jared Miller and co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. We'll be right back after this short break with more of We Do Recover with Jared Miller, sponsored by Steps Recovery Center and the Hilton Garden Inn. I'm Desmond Lomax, one of the clinical executives here at Steps Recovery, and once you become of the Steps family, you're just a part of the Steps family. A lot of us have overcome substances, overcome addiction, and now we're able to help other people. Second of all, we're also going to help you in a way where you can afford to be helped. Third of all, we're going to give you the same quality that many organizations are charging two to three times, and it's more about you than it is about our organization. We welcome you back to We Do Recover with Jared Miller, co-hosted by Dr. Terry Sellers. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. And now with part two of our podcast, Jared Miller and Dr. Terry Sellers. All right. Welcome back, everybody. We're part two of We Do Recover with Jared Miller. We're talking with our guests, uh, Holly Henderson and Josh Brazier. Uh, for those of you that are listening, I just chopped Josh off as he was mid-sentence. I'm sorry about that. But uh, no, before we get back into this segment, uh, segment two of We Do Recover with Jared Miller is brought to you by the Hilton Garden Inn. Hilton Garden Inn is right here in St. George. Now, there's Hilton Garden Inns in other places, too, but the one that sponsors us is here in St. George. So if you are traveling through southern Utah uh, give them a shot at your business. Hilton Garden and just type, just do a quick Google search. They'll pop up, man. They have great stuff. They have, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful hotel. Rooms are clean. Staff is friendly. Pool and hot tub are amazing. Cause that's what we usually do, right? We spend some time in the hot tub occasionally, even <laughs> very even, frequently. Yes. Even, even in the raining. rain. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so anyway, give them a shot. The Hilton Garden Inn. Yeah. they'll uh, take good care of you. All right, let's get back to it. We were talking with, uh, we were talking a little bit about the book, and we've kind of gotten started on the book itself, as to kind of what was the motivation and what how they got started 
doing this. I and... wanted to get into like some specifics, yeah, some good. stories, some good. Let's you know, get maybe, into the book maybe, a little bit. Uh, approaches to to treating people, you know, working with the families. Yeah, let's get into the book a little bit. So this is. Um, uh, so, so I asked them who their target audience was, basically, and I thought they were going to say the family system, but it really might be the person taking care of the loved one that's struggling. Is what I got out of that. Is that is, did I take did I get that correctly, you guys? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So there's the, the target audience is those who are in the family system or in the system, whatever it is, whether it's a family or a non-traditional family, in the system, uh, taking care of someone who is struggling with connection. And I would, I would want to ask, what are, what are maybe some of the reasons why a young person struggles or is all of a sudden in crisis? I don't know which one of you want to tackle that. Holly, let's have you start off with that. Like, like <laughs> most commonly, you know, what are the we- things that... We talked about this actually in the book because a lot of times the parents will come and go like, what, I I don't know what happened. Like everything was good. And all of a sudden my teen is off the rails. Which we see in relapse all the time, right? Like, oh, you know, Johnny or Susie was doing great for six months. They were doing fantastic. And then just one day they all of a sudden relapsed. Yeah. And we try and teach them that like, especially with the first crisis, big crisis that they're noticing that the, the team that they're working with or young adult that they're working with has been in crisis for a long time. They just haven't recognized the warning signs. So then we teach them how to recognize those warning signs in the book. Um, and some of it can be crumbling from pressures at school. Some of it, a lot of times, can be crumbling from the expectation of what's in the house or home or they're feeling lonely at home or religious expectations. There's a variety of things that make people start to go into crisis mode. And then usually the thing that they reach for is the loudest voice. What I mean by loudest voice, it could be the group that they're hanging out with that they feel connected to is introduce them to something that will help relieve the pain that they're going through. Um, Did I answer your question? Yeah. And I feel like at that point, it's just a snowball effect, right? Like I think of me and my family system with my addiction. It's like once people knew that I had an addiction problem, then it was just way more uncomfortable and it was way more stressful. And it wasn't like, well, what can we do to help? It was like, you, you just need to stop. You just got to stop. Yeah. Right. And you talk about pressure with somebody who at this point's already physically dependent on something, just saying no was not going to work at that point. And so, right. like I said, it's a snowball effect because sure you, you, you know, find a way to cope in an unhealthy way. Then your family finds out it's an uncomfortable situation. There's a lot of lecturing. There's a lot of you shoulda, woulda, couldas. Right. And from that point on, no matter what you do, unless it's addressed, I feel like therapeutically in in an environment, whether it's a coach or a therapist, there's just always this underlying anxiety that there's something wrong with me. I'm the black sheep in the family. I'm the 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 cast out. Right. I'm sure a lot of your guys is adolescents that come to you feel that way, because why can't I just be normal? Why can't I go to a normal high school or junior high or. Right. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. And then I think it snowballs because from that pain, it's a pain trigger. You, you dip back into the tools that you use to solve the pain. You know, when we map that out for the parent, they go, oh, OK, I get it. OK, so I'm, I'm going to try not to control this time. This time I'm going to try and just talk about what's going on. I'm going to try and figure out where the anxiety and the frustration is and and help them work it out in their mind, especially as the teenagers who don't have that frontal lobe developed. They can't see the end all picture. 
you know, and, and help them be feel empowered to make a decision rather than feeling controlled. Because we know with the teens that feel overly controlled, that also puts them in a spin, right? Yeah. Um, so we just are trying to help parents, like instead of doing the knee-jerk reaction, it's like being, we talk about in the book, it's like being in an airplane 10,000 feet up. What do you see? Well, not much. But once you start to go on the landing, you're like, oh, there's a convenience store. There's people walking around. There's just so much to that story that you see. So we ask, don't react in that situation if someone's had a relapse and start taking things away. Go, wait, what was that about? Or what, what's happening? And, and also get, get curious enough that when they give you an excuse, there may be something under that iceberg that's even more to the point. Right. And helping them dissect that, like Josh says, with the language that they're using to understand what they're really talking about. Yeah. So um, where, where does the disconnect come from? So you you're I, I guess your target audience is let's just go with parents for now. Let's just take a traditional family, for example. Parents come in and uh, they write a big check to somebody to fix their kid. Right. And so they send them off and fix my kid. But during the family structure, then the parent comes in and says, look, I've loved Johnny all his life and I've provided him everything he needs. And now all of a sudden here he is at 15. The only person he trusts is his drug dealer. What, where does that come from? Like, where does Johnny lose the connection with the family and get a connection to people that really aren't his friends or aren't as invested in him as his family? Josh, go ahead. I think, yeah, no, I think that's a really good question. And it makes me think of just some stories of kids that I've worked with over the years who, yeah, had their drug dealer on speed dial versus their mom or their dad, right? As, as somebody who they would call and connect with, uh, you know, these kids are on Twitch or these gaming sites and they're learning how to play video games or getting relationship advice and getting a plug for something that they're wanting to get fulfilled in terms of a drug or something. They're, they're finding these ways to connect, right? So when you're asking about what the disconnection is, at some point in time, the parents personalize the struggle that was going on with the, with the mm. team. And then it just starts to just pull away. I and have provided means, Johnny everything he needs. Right. And so they personalized his struggle and made right. it about them versus making it about what's actually going on. And like Great Holly point. was just explaining is that they go in and they start looking at everything from a 10,000 foot view. It's like, oh man, he's got a house. He's got an Xbox. He's going to a great school. We got him a car. He should be fine. But when you get down into the weeds, you start to see like, hey, X happened to him at school the other day. He's got a learning, um, you know, a learning difference that he can't really, that's undiagnosed. Something is going on where something is not connecting. It is causing the anxiety. It is causing the stress in his life and the discomfort. And he wants, or he or she wants that gone. And so they're going to, just like water, they're going to go to whatever is the easiest way for them to feel that way. And because mom and dad have personalized the struggle, it's no longer a safe place for them to go. And then couple that with individuation, which any teenager is trying to do and trying to be on their own and trying to figure out like, oh, okay, like, who am I? What am I about? Trying to be authentic. They're naturally going to be pushing their parents away and go towards something else that we, we always say in the book, like, what is the loudest voice? And those louder voices sometimes are what's on social media, what's cool, whatever's trending. And unfortunately, that could be drugs, alcohol, and, and, a, and, a, and a myriad of other things. And I think the thing that we also talk about in the book is that there's so many different scenarios. So that could be one scenario. You could have another scenario of a family where you've got 
uh, perfectionism that is is really advertised, right? And you have maybe other siblings showing up in a way that they're everybody, mom and dad are happy. And then you could have a child that feels very different about themselves and the way they are showing up and feel shame and not wanting to have those conversations. And then the way that the parents interact with the, the teen can create that disconnect gap mm -hmm. so that the teen's going then to wherever they're going to feel safe. Do and you the guys, hardest thing, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead, Josh. No, I just think the hardest thing for most parents to admit and why we wrote the book is that it's really hard to admit that that relationship is no longer safe. And we try to help them rebuild that in the book and that's in, and in the other parts as well. And so there's something about the relationship that just doesn't feel safe, whether it's the perfectionism, whether it's the personalization, whether it's the just totally being, uh, you know, like passive and avoidant of what's going on. Right. Um, something no longer felt safe enough to be able to approach. And like I said, couple that with natural teenage individuation and it becomes quite the cocktail. How, how do we rebuild that? I mean, by the time that the parents understand there's a giant problem, the kid's already disconnected. Like the relationship already feels unsafe to them, right? So where as a parent do I turn to start making that connection better? You want me to take that, Josh? Because <clears throat> I think about it in my own situation. Yeah, when I was When I was away from home, I was done with my parents. If I never had to see them again, it was a good day. <laughs> and it's amazing that we were able to come back and connect. The very first thing that changed the most for me was that they were willing to show up and accept their part. So apology goes a long way in saying, mm. hey, you know what? We may have done things in a way that might not have been helpful for our relationship. We're willing to take ownership of that. We're sorry for that. You know, parents, need to, if they can take the ownership as the leader of the family, it goes huge. That doesn't mean that the teen's ready to trust, but you've, you've started to perk the ear. <laughs> and then when you start to see the parent do the work, you know, and they start to do things differently than they did before, notice when they're getting triggered, notice how the way that they've been conditioned by their parents and, and how they grew up, when they're dipping into that and when it's unhealthy, stepping back and going like, I'm not going to do like we did before. I want a healthier relationship. Then the teen says things are starting to change because usually the teen will give a lot until they realize there's no hope. <laughs> so you want to open up that door for them to hope that the things could be different in the future. I actually think in any relationship dynamic, whether it's a friendship, whether it's a, a significant other, whether it's a, you know, a loved one, family member, anytime there's a riff in a relationship, Typically, as soon as one person can step up and take accountability and, and start that amends process, usually things will move in the right direction, right? But one person's got to give at first. Like, I yeah. feel like that's true in most relationships. Yeah. And in this case, with the dynamic of parent and teen, it has to be the parents. They need to lead out. A lot of parents are have so much hurt with what's been going on that they don't want to take that step. But they're they are in charge of that system, that culture and their family. So, and the teen already feels inadequate, already feels angry, feels, and doesn't even have all the tools that they need to have these healthy relationships yet. So the parent needs to lead out first and show them that they can be vulnerable and they can change. Well, and like you said, their frontal cortex hasn't even fully developed yet, right? Like they're not completely right. logical. They're, they're acting right. off of emotion quite a bit. Right. Right. Really exactly. That. Is there anything you wanted um, to add to that, Josh? 
Well, just we see it all the time where I've been, we get calls, like an intake call from somebody and they're like, Hey, my kid's struggling and things like that. And it's just that same concept of, let me just write you a check or can you take this over? And, and I think that there's just that, that responsibility to take that, take that breath and realize that I'm part of this. I can start here. I can set that example. And a lot of what Holly and I do is we become a buffer to help that process start. So when we start working with a young person, we kind of take that parental, that caring role on for a little bit as a coach and just like give the kid a safe space to kind of unload. And we, like we said, start to decode their language and start to understand what's going on with them, what traumas, what pains they have while the parents are catching up to the point where they can have that conversation and, and say, I'm ready to start anew. Like I'm ready to look past. I'm not going to over identify with any of the things that were happening in the past. And, but we're just going to try to create a new culture here. And like Holly said in her situation, I've always seen, and it's not always perfect, but I know most teens are willing to give things another chance if they can really trust and see that some steps have been made on the parents, on the parents and on the caretakers end, because they need to see a little bit of work in order to kind of meet them in that place. So, so leads into a question that I have, and you've, you've started to answer it already, but how is it that you guys then are able to connect with the teen when, when the teen's own parents can't do that? It's, uh, I don't know exactly if, I mean, I was, I, I studied advertising. I've been through coaching courses where they teach you how to listen. Right. I think I've been able to use my life experiences to connect with people. And whenever I talk with somebody in an intake call, you know, especially now during COVID where it's just by Zoom and they meet somebody by Zoom for the first time, I just give them a sense of who I am and I let them know what I'm about and what's important to me and that I'm curious about them. And that curiosity is key. That they actually will know that I'm not just going to listen, be a third parent or just be a, 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 a phone line to the from from them to the kid to them to the parent saying exactly you know just parroting back what whatever was told to me but i let them know this is a safe space i give them a view of who i am and what i've been through and we just we just go from there and and yeah it works i mean i'm the one that gets the phone calls at 3 a.m or 4 a.m when some kids cutting in the bathtub unfortunately having to talk kid, kids through attempted suicides and getting them safe and in all those different places like holly and i have both had these experiences where we act as that buffer until, like we said, the family culture and the caretakers can catch up. Mm. Interesting. Holly, so, did you have, did you have yeah, something? So you're, yeah, so you're, you've got uh, also, like when we introduce book two, it's really going to be about, it's called Cracking the Communication Code. There are oftentimes things parents will say and do with intention behind it that they think nobody knows mm -hmm. <laughs> that will communicate to a teen in a way that turns them away. Mm. So... Um, I was talking to another mom this morning who was concerned about some of the stuff that her daughter was putting online and the way that she said it to her daughter, <laughs> she was really surprised that her daughter was reactive. And I, and I was able to just decode a few words and say, Hey, you know, you know, when you said these few things, this is how it feels. What was your intention in communicating this? Um, and so I think that that makes us a little bit different in being able as, as a coach versus what parents are struggling with when they're communicating with their loved one is that we don't have the same type of tie and, and love ties that they have to their kids. We, we, we respect these, these teens, 
but we don't have any ulterior motive that we, or agenda we want to push through. So it just allows us to be present with them. But we can teach parents how to do that. Okay, so I'm a I'm a I'm a mom of a teen girl, okay? Which is clear mm-hmm. none of those things are true. But um, <laughs> my daughter posts a picture online that I'm not happy with, and my response to that is why would you put a picture that slutty online? Oof. So my coach me yeah, through my, that, please. Yeah, my first thing is let's stop with the word why, because in, okay. the, in the minute that you say why, the ball goes up, right? Okay. If you were to use the term, what's, tell me more about this photo. Tell me more about, um, yeah, uh, when you put it up. Uh, I want to get more context about where you were, what the intention was. Uh, I want to start talking about, you know, um, tell me a little bit more about what your friends are posting. Tell me how important it is to post these types of things. And then I would want to, if, if my intention is to teach, like as a, as a parent, you always want to say, what is my intention in this moment that I, I want to bring this up? I'm uncomfortable that she's posting something really at the very core. What I fear the most is that someone's going to take advantage of the person I love the most, mm-hmm. that they're going to see them in a way that isn't accurate. And I want to prevent them from that pain, Absolutely. experiencing that pain, right? So normally I'd be like, why'd you do this? This is slutty. Do you know how people you know, see this, well, this is a lot of shaming and what happens with the team. They're like, I'm out. But if you can, if you can get a little bit more curious about the what and, and and help them formulate the picture, because that frontal lobe is not strong. So you want them to see like, well, what do you think people think about this photo? You know, what, what would you think about this type of photo? Um, Sometimes we can, we can bring up things in pop culture. What do you think people are thinking about this kind of information on the web, you know? So there's ways to address that issue that that's a bit more creative than coming out. Like, why did you do that? Yeah. Uh, does that answer the question? Yeah, absolutely. But okay. Josh, Josh how something? would you, yeah. How would you tackle that? Well, we actually just did a whole video on how to start conversations like difficult conversations. And obviously posting something like that online is a super, super difficult conversation. And so, like Holly said, curiosity is the number one thing that should be driving this. But how you start the conversation is number one in my book. And so if you need to take a breath, if you need to disengage, if you need to, if you don't have that conversation for two days, then you don't start it until you know that you can come from it in a loving and compassionate and curious way. And having those filters set up instead of reactionary and in the moment, which is really hard for us to do because like Holly said, we're trying to protect somebody who we feel like could be in danger and our, some of our greatest fears are being possibly realized. And I always just say to parents when we're working with them and we've decoded their language, just like Holly did with your, with your question to that hypothetical teen girl, well, hey, like how could we start that again? How could you actually start a conversation that's going to allow for them to be more than just yes, no, or to walk away? Um, and so I, I'm just really a big fan of, 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 of learning how to start conversations. And we just, maybe we can put in your show notes or whatever, the video that we just started. And it just goes over a bunch of hard topics and how to start those conversations what, in a way that will create and foster communication. Where is that video? How do people find that? 
Holly's going to be better on that one because okay. I am the tech, not the tech, <laughs> right. tech person. Sometimes, if they go to our, if they go to joshandholly.com and they sign the mailing list, it'll automatically be sent out to them as a gift for signing up. Joshandholly.com. H o l l i e. I e. Josh and Holly. Yeah. Okay. But I was going to add to that. Sometimes in in parenting with teens, it's not even about the direct conversation. It's about finding the opportunity to bring up something in, let's say, you know, uh, Josh, uh, I remember you telling a story when you were going down to Mexico and you had some of the boys you wanted to talk to about pornography and you cross over in the border and tell, tell them what happens and the point that you're able to make. Well, I mean, Tijuana is one of the largest sex trades in, in the world. So a lot of people will fly into San Diego and within 15 minutes you're in Tijuana and you can have whatever you want. Um, so a lot of these kids that I was working with are either working with like sex addictions, pornography addictions, things like that. And so as we went to these orphanage and they were actually playing soccer with these kids and making a meal and sitting down beside them, they were actually working alongside the physical, real consequences of pornography and sex addictions and, and all those different things. Cause a lot of those kids were taken out of horrible, horrible situations in Tijuana and other places. Right. And so to make things real and I might, you guys can cut me off. I'm going the wrong direction with this, but I just kind of want to bring it back to what we were talking about in terms of just like that conversation, because it was real and it was concrete and they could connect with it versus it just being accusatory or whatever is, is kind of what Holly and I teach best. My, my dad did a good job of just like taking me on drives every Sunday when I was a teen and we didn't have to talk, but I always knew it was a time where I, where I could talk. And so it's just about your timing and it's about just not coming in it right away, but then just to create a a culture that says, Hey, we're going to go to ice cream and we're going to talk about some tough stuff. And I'm going to try to make it land a little bit better and a lot better, but I'm going to start to create these traditions like I did with these, with these youth in Mexico and I would take them down to Africa or Peru to actually put them in physical situations where they could see what the drug trade was doing and what they could see what alcohol was doing, like in Zambia, where the, where alcohol is given out in little packets like water and it's cheaper than water. And we were just going from house to house, working with inebriated people and the, the consequences of that really have impact it's not about what i said it was the situation yeah that's the experience me. yeah hey we're yeah, exactly. we're getting short on time unfortunately but there's a couple of quick things i'd like to explore if we can get to them uh, we got about a minute and a half left but uh the first is let me tell you what i heard out of what you guys said is in conversations with a teen drop the judgment don't hit them with an accusation or a drop that completely and be more curious. Did I, is that sound like something you were trying to tell us? I would say even more with teens, just a coworker. Sure. Your wife, your husband in relationships. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's great advice right there. Don't ask such judgmental questions. Okay. And then uh, we got 30 seconds left. I'm going to ask you really quickly. We got 50 seconds left, but really quickly. You have mentioned a couple of times coaching, and that's a different style than kind of what we're used to because we come from this era where everyone had a therapist, right? And you guys mentioned that you do coaching. Tell me the difference. For me, it's going on a hike with somebody, doing something hard, doing some service, going for a surf and being able to be experiential and exposure with those people versus in a, just a therapist's office where they can tell you what you want to hear. Coaching is just so, I feel like I can connect so much more as a coach. Okay. Thanks. I think, I think coaching with therapy is, is the way that we're going. 
Therapy uh, is so is so important. Hey, we're about and, out of time. Tell us how to get a hold of you. One more time. Okay. Joshandholly.com. You can get a hold of us. Beautiful. Sorry we ran out of time. Thanks for our guests. Josh Brazier. Thank you. Holly, Holly yeah. Henderson. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you for joining us today on We Do Recover with Jared Miller. Help us spread our message of hope. Like, comment, and share. If you have any topics or ideas for future shows, please share that on our Facebook page. That Facebook page is We Do Recover with Jared Miller. If you or a loved one needs help, please reach out to us. Again, thank you for listening. Brought to you by Steps Recovery Center and the St. George Hilton Garden Inn. This has been a production from A Podcast Studio.